Like I said, tonight we're going to be continuing our series in the life of Daniel, looking at chapter 2 tonight. And when we're thinking about being rooted, there's there's a verse out of Colossians that ties extremely well to the passage that Tyler read for us. By the way, Tyler, uh, since you only serve as coffee, brother, we're going to have to up your ante and serve us some uh, breakfast tonight. Um, But Colossians 2, Colossians 2, 6 through 7 says this. Yeah, it should be on the screen now. (coughs) So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Now, here's here's the deal. Here's the caveat. Rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thanksgiving. And so, God bless you. Uh, The thought of when we're thinking about being rooted tonight and for the rest of our series, this this is kind of the foundational groundwork as we're looking through the lens of being rooted in in, in Christ Jesus or or in in this context of being rooted in the Bible. When the seed of God's word is planted in the hearts of his people, when it takes root into the hearts of God's people, there's something that comes from that. What Tyler's very, what Tyler was sharing in, in John chapter 2 is that, that the, when, once the branches branch off from the root, it produces fruit. And, and we see that the Apostle Paul calls one of those fruits thanksgiving, being thankful. And again, that's one of the foundations that I want us to really press into in this in the season that we're living in. I mean, it's kind of hard to find something to be thankful for. Am I right? It's kind of hard to kind of, you know, turn on the news and like, man, I'm super thankful for this pandemic. I'm super thankful for the way the election kind of turned out. I'm super thankful for the ways that, you know, our economy is falling by the wayside. Like, I'm super thankful for that. It's kind of hard, really. But there is an element that God is pushing us into to see those things as opportunities for, for our faith to be persevered and to strengthen in the heart of sufferers. Let me unpack a little bit of what has taken place so far in the story of, of Daniel. Chapter 1, Corey uh, kicked us off uh, two weeks ago, and he shared uh, like the introduction to, to Daniel. Uh, Daniel and, and some of his friends, the, the, the tribe of Judah, children of Israel, they've just been captured by the nation of Babylon. Okay, and there are, uh, as they've been captured, the ones that were alive are, are then forced into the Babylonian culture. And there's four Hebrew teenagers that, that, are, that are named in chapter 1, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And those four teenagers, they were, as Daniel 1, 4 says, they were without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude of every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. These young men were taken from their homeland, taken from their, their cultural and their identity as the children of Israel, and they were brought to the land of Babylon, and they were to learn all things Babylon, be faithful in the king's court. Now, here's the, ca- here's the caveat. Here's the kicker for all of that. They were to do so without losing their biblical identity. Chapter 1 concludes with the story of Daniel and his friends refusing to eat the king's food, 
because of the covenant that they made in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, it talks about the book of covenants of about what food you should, you shall eat and shall not eat. You should abstain from it. And so Daniel and his friends, they decide to abstain from certain foods that the king was offering. And when I was thinking about that story when, 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 when Corey was sharing it, it, re- it reminded me of, I think it was like 03, 04. Um, all my years at NAU, um, the Arizona Cardinals would uh, do their training camp at, at NAU. Do y'all remember that? Do you, whoever went to those training camps were, were the Cardinals. <laughs> all two of you. Thanks, Blake. Um, so, so the Cardinals would, would use our facilities uh, for two weeks, and then they would come back and get ready for the season. As a thank you to the university and to the team for taking over our facilities and using our locker rooms and whatever, dorm, dormitories and everything, they provided a meal for us. They're so thoughtful and generous. But I'm going to tell you something. This particular meal, though, filet mignon, they had shrimp the size of my hand, fried shrimp the size of potatoes and, and, and green beans. Listen. When, when thinking about the king's food and I think about the way that, that the, the, the organization, this, this multi-billion dollar industry treat their players, I can only imagine how this king who had rule over everything, what kind of buffet he had before these guys and yet they decided to remain faithful to their covenant. And the story concludes after 10 days, they were found to be healthier and better in appearance, and these young men, they stayed in the training center for the next couple of years, and Daniel, spoiler alert, he stays in the, in the king's court for another 70 years. He stays in Babylon for 70 years. And so tonight, we're going to pick up in chapter 2, and here's the deal. As we explore what it means to be faithful in a, in a hostile world, this is a question that we're going to like really unpack throughout this story, so take your notes. How do you, how do we, how do you and I remain faithful in an idolatrous culture? How are, how are you and I to remain faithful in an unfaithful culture? Then we're going to pray and ask for the Lord's leading in this moment. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for um, just the ways that you've been extremely good to us and how you've provided for us in the midst of a pandemic. Thank you for the ways that you have um, just lavished us with your grace and your mercy. And tonight I'm asking for your spirit's witness. I'm asking for um, how you would step me out of, the, out of the way and that your word will go forth and penetrate the hearts of your people tonight and do what only you can do in these moments. So help us to find our identity in you and above all else in what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. So let's look at Daniel chapter 2. We're going to start with the first several verses. It says this, in the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and uh, astrologers to tell him what, had, what he had dreamed. And when they had stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream that troubles me. I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king, may the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will interpret it. The king replied to the astrologers, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, 
I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. That escalated quickly. But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. Once more, they replied, let the king tell his servants the dream and we will interpret it. So out, right out of the gate, we, we, we see there's a, there's a clash going on here. These, these astrologers and these, uh, these enchanters, they found themselves in a peculiar situation because they're operating out of a limited source. Now, I don't, I don't know if this needs to be said, but I'm going to say it. Uh, tarot reading, uh, any kind of enchant, like, like those are demonic powers. It's, it's of the devil. And those things only have but a little bit of power. And what we see, the king is asking out of these guys power that they can't, they can't tap into. And just for, for those who are unfamiliar with this, this, this king, Nebuchadnezzar, he was thought to be the most powerful ruler in all of Babylon and all of the land back in that day. And he was only 30 years old. And I know there's some skeptics in the, in the building about like, man, is this, is this really true? And it's like, are you sure he's really real? Well, here's all I can tell you. I, like, the Bible is true and it's real and every word in it is, is yes and amen. And, and these characters are, are, ex, are, are very real. They're historically proven. Matter of fact, this, this king, when he says in verse 5, I will cut you into pieces, he, this was not an idle threat. He was known, one of his, one of his execution tactics was to put, put a prisoner, put whoever he's going to execute, tie them to, in between two trees that, that were kind of together, and, and, and they, would, they would tie their, their arms and legs, uh, their, their wrists and their ankles together in between these two trees. And, and once they, they had them stretched out wide, they would cut the rope that tied the two trees together so that when it, the, the rope split, it would split all four parts of the person. They would literally bleed to death. The dude was ruthless. But in some regards, he was also kind of remarkable. He was known to be uh, the, chief, uh, the chief architect of building the seventh wonder of the world. It's called the Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Harley, you can put that, that picture up. So this is actually located in present-day uh, Iran. Wherever it is, um, but it's it's just a it's a picture of this place again, the seventh wonder of the world. And fellows, the reason why he built these this lavish place, this lavish garden, because his wife was hungry. Can I get out of here? This this dude was remarkable and yet extremely ruthless. He had the largest army at, at his disposal with the strongest artillery. He had the brightest scholars on his payroll. He had all the economical wealth distribution in the palm of his hands. Every decision that was made came through him. He had control over everything, and yet he couldn't control something as simple as sin. And that's just like God. To you and I, it's a reminder. To you and I, it's a, it's a reminder that, that God's in control. But to Nebuchadnezzar, it's going to be a warning. Let's look at 8 through 16. It says, then the king answered, I am certain that you're trying to gain time. 
because you would realize that this is what I firmly decided. If you do not tell me the dream, there is only one penalty for you. You have conspired to tell me misleading and wicked things, hoping the situation will change. Is that not the culture we live in? Conspiring to tell us misleading things? Exactly the culture that we live in. So then tell me the dream and I will know that you can interpret it for me. Then the astrologer answered the king, there's not one person on earth who can do what the king is asked. No king, however great or mighty, has ever asked such a thing in any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods who do not live among humans. It made the king, this made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men in Babylon. So the decree was issued and put to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. And Ariok, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. You see the growing frustration of King Nebuchadnezzar here in this story that's about to turn violent. And the main reason that this king is full of anxiety and full of frustration is because he has his hope in the wrong place. He has his hope in the wrong people. He has his hope in the wrong things. And here's what Proverbs 13, 12 says, a hope deferred makes the heart sick. The king is operating with a sick heart. And it's probably because he can, in his culture, it was considered that um, dreams and visions, you got a dream or if you got a vision, especially being a king or a ruler, this was the God's, little g, way of breaking through the spiritual barrier into the physical realm to warn you about certain future events. Now, here's the, here's the remarkable thing. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar was actually named after a Babylonian god called Nebu. He was a god of wisdom. And he was often found praying to Merduk, which was the god of justice and the god of storms. I wonder if he was praying for us today with the rain. Um, Luke 6, 45 points to the true nature of this king. It says this, a good man brings things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. At the heart of this king, at the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, pride, arrogance, that is festering into idolatry. And yet in this most beautiful display of God's sovereignty, in this moment, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, he's graciously drawing King Nebuchadnezzar's heart into himself. Some would say this is the beginning process of salvation because when we see in verse 11, his astrologers are trying to give him Give him some gospel truth. 
No one can reveal it to their king except the gods who do not live in, amongst the humans. These guys, they have no idea how much gospel truth they're speaking of. And Luke 18 and 27 says this, for what is impossible for man is made possible with God. They're telling the king, look, king, you, you want, you're putting your focus in the wrong people, in the wrong places. The God of heaven and earth is about to reveal his plan through a pagan king. And he's going to use Daniel as an instrument. As we unpack the rest of this story, there's a few implications that we, we're going to learn here from Daniel that we can apply to our lives. And how we can learn to remain rooted in an idolatrous culture. So some would say applications, some would say implications. I'm just going to say here's some lessons, here's some things that you and I can, can lean on, can gravitate, can hold on to while we navigate through this idolatrous culture. The first thing is this that we can learn from Daniel is that Daniel is rooted in his God-given identity. The second thing that we can learn from Daniel is that he's rooted in his God-given community. And the third thing we can learn from Daniel is that he's, he's committed and he is rooted in God's mission. Verse 17. <laughs> then Daniel returned to the house. Him and the boys are in the house. Explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, Ezra, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven, and he said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. He disposes kings. He raises up. He raises up kings. So in other words, he he's the one that puts kings in places, and he's the one that removes them from their places. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows the lies, what lies in darkness, and light dwells with him. I thank and praise you, God of my ancestors. You have given me wisdom and power. You have made known to me what we ask of you, and you have made known to us the dreams of the king. We see Daniel being rooted in his biblical identity by the way he responds to bad news. Matthew 6.33 says this, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things will be added to you. Daniel wasn't searching Google first of how in the world we're going to escape this pressure that's coming from this king. He wasn't out trying to look at the stars and see if they aligned. He came to his, his maker. Much like Babylon, and I know you guys can attest to this, the society in which we're living in and how it's pushing its humanistic worldviews on us from every angle. The culture is redefining identities for us at a rapid rate. Trying to tell us <laughs> what's right and what's, what's not right, right? It's misleading. It's leading us down a dark path. It's leading us into the path of thinking that we, you, and I are the ones that's in control. 
It's leading us to a path where Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar thinks that he's the one that's in control. And here's a surefire way to know if you're kind of leaning towards that way. How do you respond to suffering? What is your response to bad news? How do you function in that? Here's a better question. Who do you turn to? Is prayer even a top priority or is it just not a priority? Got to think about that. Daniel's, his identity is rooted in God. It's reinforced in who he is and who he belongs to. And the security of that is revealed through times of suffering. My senior year at NAU, we got an NAU grads in the house. I know we got at least two. Three, come on. Oh, NAU in the house. So my senior year at NAU, um, I tore my knee. I had a partial torn ACL, partial torn MCL, partial torn just busted up knee. Like just my career was over at that point. And it was the fifth game of the season. So my senior year was over. And in, I'm, I'm in the locker room, and the doctors is like, look, you're done for today, but it's at least two, three weeks. That, that, that's what they're telling me at the moment. And, and I'm, 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 I'm knowing what I'm knowing. They're trying to give me, like, soften the news now to tell me the rest of the bad news later. But it was already well with my heart and my soul. I was already good. I mean, I knew I was going to go to the league, but it was, it was well with my soul. And what I decided to do was I wanted to thank my team. So each shot started coming in. I would come on the sideline and catch it. <laughs> I just, just, man, thank you. Man, you, you know, you've been a great teammate. I love you guys. You suck. <laughs> but, um, but we brothers. We brothers for life. I, did, I had no idea who was watching over, you know, I, I was just trying to be me. And it was like six years later, I saw one of the, the trainers in the, in, the, in the room at the time at an FCA event. And she was like, you know, when you was, you know, had that time with all those guys, that actually spoke to me in many different ways. To see that your season was over and the way you responded to your team. And I said, look, I, I don't know, you know, praise God of whatever was happening with you and in and, and, and the midst of what you was got, had going on. Only thing I knew to do was this, this sport is not my God. That's all I knew to express. And a way of expressing that was a thank you to these guys for the ways that they cared for me in my time at NAU. God is the one who orchestrates sets things into motion, even in the midst of suffering. Proverbs 3, 5, 7 says this, lean not into your own understanding. Don't, don't do it, guys. Don't, don't even try to try to fester up and conjugate a plan in your own mind about what you think the right thing is to do without seeking God first. Come to him. Come to him. He's drawing us. He's, he's, he's drawing us and calling us into himself. Tom Schrader 
founding pastor, he had this line. He says, worry about nothing and pray about everything. And he got that line from Philippians 6. Philippians 6, 4. I'm sorry, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Holly, do you have that, that verse up? Philippians 4. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me just read it from up here. It says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, in every situation. I, I think in the Hebrew, everything means everything. By prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends, that surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think this needs to be clear and it needs to be stated very, very pointed. Your spiritual walk and your spiritual growth and development is not something that happens by chance. You need to be intentional with it. Daniel and his boys was intentional in their God-given identity that they rooted in him, which shapes them, Daniel, his boys, us, the readers, in 2021 into a more faithful witness for the kingdom. And here's the beauty of all of that, is that we're not meant to do this journey alone, which brings me to my next implication that we can learn from Daniel is that he's rooted in community. So far in this story, we see Daniel and his friends, they're, they're overthrown and taken into custody together. In chapter 1, they spend three years to get together in this training center, Babylon Nike camp. That was a joke. Uh, they refuse the king's food, drink together. They avoid it at all costs and eat fruits and vegetables together. In chapter 2, Ariot, the executioner, was sent to kill them together. And Daniel and his friends were found in, their, in his house praying together. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but in verse 48 and 49, Daniel and his friends, they're, they're actually rewarded for their commitment and they're promoted together. feels good to know that someone has your back. feels good to be in a community that people really care about you, no matter what the circumstances. Every last one of us in this room needs that kind of commitment and community from the one another. I got a plenty of stories about <laughs> people having my back. When my car, uh, my car, like a year or so when I when I moved out here, the AC went out and and it was it was right around like June, July. I told my wife, I was like, we need to get the car back. And God this is a sign from God. I don't need to be riding around in sweats. Um this is not of God. And so for we didn't have a car for about a week. And and Paul Latino um allowed me and my family to use his suburban. Little things like that, you know, from his from his people in your life to to hold you hold you up when when you're down. There was a young lady in the in the college college ministry that I led back in Florida, who God had put on her heart to give her car away to a, another a single mom in, in the church. And she was kind of wrestling with God, like, how am I gonna do this? How would it come off? Whatever, whatever. Long story short. The single mom got into a car accident, totaled her car, and her son was in the car. Now, fast forward, 
all is well, everybody's good. But the, the young lady, she actually obeyed God. She gave her car to the, the single mom. And their, their relationship is tighter than ever before. The point is, it's just good to have people in your life who, who have your back. To be there for you in the ups and downs. And here's the deal about the importance of community or the one another. It's traced all throughout the biblical story. And it shapes you and I to faithful witness. Genesis 2.18 says this. It's not good for man to be alone. Now, that's, that's God talking to, to, to Adam or God talking to himself about Adam. That it's not good for Adam to be alone and, and that he'll create a helpmate for, for Adam and named Eve. Now, Eve was not meant to be the one that comes in and cleans up behind Adam. Eve was not, her purpose was not to, to do the dishes or wash the fig leaves or whatever. I mean, that was not her purpose, right? Her, her purpose was to be a helpmate, to, to be in community and joint together in harmony with Adam. Proverbs 7, uh, 27 and 17 says, iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. In the, in the New Testament alone, there's 94 verses that talks about the one another. 47 of them are instructions given by Jesus himself. I think the one another's are important. And Daniel is busting this out. He shows us the importance of being in community together, doing life on life together for the bigger purpose. Which leads me to my final implication. The bigger purpose is to be rooted in God's mission. Verse 24, then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed him, to execute the wise men in Babylon and said to him, do not execute the wise men in Babylon. Take me to the king and I will interpret his dream for you. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can tell the king about his dream. The king asked Daniel, also called Belshazzar, are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? So not only can you do what these guys couldn't do, but, but actually could you help me out and interpret it? Daniel replied, no wise man. I think y'all need to highlight this part. Verse 27, highlight this, write it down, put it in your day planner, whatever. Wise man, no wise man, enchanter, magician, divinator can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Your dream and your vision that passed through your mind as you were lying in bed are these. So much to unpack in, in, that, in that short little section. You still got some more to go, so just bear with me. Daniel is exemplifying humility here, which is one of the points of action in, in God's mission. It's not, it's not us that is doing anything weird. It's God in us. That was just a preview. I got this note coming. So if you are taking notes, take this note. The gospel is not just something that needs to be heard. People need to hear and to see good news. People need to hear and see good news. 
exactly what our culture needs today. It needs individuals rooted in their identity in Christ, rooted in community and rooted in the mission of God. Exemplifying the things of God. That's what Daniel is doing here. He's participating in God's mission through the way he shares this information and his demonstration of good news. He's able to interpret the dream. That's that's the good news. That's him sharing it. That's him speaking it. He's able to demonstrate it because he's he's coming to the king with humility. He's sharing and he's demonstrating good news. Now, the rest of the story, the, the, the rest of the dream is Daniel is explaining to the king Nebuchadnezzar, there's a statue king. And his statue was made up of five different materials. There's, there's gold, there's uh, silver, bronze, uh, iron, and clay. The gold was the head that, that uh, represented the, the Babylon king and, and Nebuchadnezzar and his crew. The rest of the materials, the rest of the body of the, of the statue represented the kingdoms to come. All the other kingdoms that was going to come behind Babylon and all of these other kingdoms was just going to introduce more violence, introduce more uh, 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 arrogance and pride and, and fits of rage. And then verse, verse 34, verse 34 says this, while you were watching, so while you were sleeping there, king, there was a rock that was cut out not by human hands and it struck the statue on its feet. His feet of iron and clay and smashed them. The iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken into pieces and became like chaff on the threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace. But the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. What we're seeing essentially is this rock that was not made from human hands came in and established a new kingdom. God's mission sometimes require us to remain faithful in particular spaces that makes us uncomfortable. I want to I ask a question. How many of you have ever worked a job where there were no Christians working? How many of you ever played on a team and none of your teammates were Christians. How many of you ever had roommates? <laughs> Live with roommates. That, now, if your roommate is here, don't, don't, don't put them out there no more. The Apostle Paul, he, he speaks to this in, in, in Romans 12, 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be renewed by the transforming renew, or transformed by the renewal of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We may not understand what God is doing, but we can trust the process. We don't, we don't know the final outcome. We don't know why, why we're to remain faithful, why we're to, to show, show uh, kindness to someone who's being a jerk to us. We don't know what the, the final outcome of that is going to be. We just trust the process. We just stay faithful and obedient to the word of God. And Daniel's continued 
devotion to be rooted in God's mission. In this, in this section of scripture, especially in 44, or excuse me, in 47, we see God's plan of salvation introduced to King Nebuchadnezzar. Again, what, what some would say is impossible, with God all things are possible. 47 says this, after Daniel had concluded and, and, and shared the dream to him and, and then said this, hey, hey, king, by the way, this dream is a trustworthy interpretation to it. And in 47, the king says to Daniel, surely your God is the God of gods. And you're, the, you're, you're Lord, he's the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, and, and you were able to reveal this mystery. God is wooing the heart of the king because of the faithfulness of Daniel. He's wooing the heart of this king, and this is only the beginning of the process, but like the famous poem that describes God as the hound of heaven, he always gets his man. So how can we take what chapter 2 presents to us and the ways of staying rooted and faithful in an idolatrous culture by being rooted in God's identity of us, his community that he's provided for us, and his, his mission, how can, we, how can we remain faithful in those things? Well, consider this. We're living in a story much similar to Daniel. We're living in a culture much similar to Daniel. And in this story, the story that we're seeing in chapter 2, what the, what, the, what the culture is trying to do, you and I, as the ones that are in control, there, there's an outcome that's going to end in destruction, and it's going to be blown away. That, that story and that kingdom will not last. There is another story at work. The story of that the rock represents in the dream. This is a story we call the true story of the world. This is God acting on mission to not only to save, but to renew all of creation. And from, from Genesis to Revelation, he's gathering every tribe, every tongue, every culture. And he's forming them into this new humanity. And for, for, for you and I, for those who are rooted in him, we get to participate in that new humanity. I'm going to ask the, the band to come up. And the reason we get to participate in that new humanity because of the rock of ages. The rock whose kingdom does not wither, it does not fade, it does not rust. The rock, whose name is Jesus, who through his death and resurrection and now sits on eternity's throne, interceding on behalf of you and I, he is inviting us into his mission. So what does this mean for us? You and I, we get to participate. 
you get to participate. So for those who call God of the Bible, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, for those who are rooted in him, my prayer for you is that you would grow in your roots, grow in your spiritual development, grow in your spiritual disciplines, in prayer, reading, fasting, solitude, grow in those things. And for those who are not, by your own admission, you would say, I'm not, I'm not a Christian, I, you know, I'm trying to figure this stuff out. Well, here's the deal. My prayer is that God's plan of salvation will begin to take root in your life. That, that you would use this moment to consider, just consider, what, what would my life be like without Jesus? I want to pray for us, and then we're going to enter into worship. Father, we thank you so much for the story of Daniel. Thank you for how you have reminded us of what it means to be in be in community, to be rooted in you, to be in community and to have our identity in you and to be in, in, in your mission. And I pray that tonight, God, you would draw all of our hearts closer to you. For those who don't know you, God, I pray that you would open their eyes. I pray that they'll have a, a holy encounter with you. And for those, for the rest of us who call you Lord and Savior, would you continue to deepen our relationship? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.